Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 136. Avi ben Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 136 and a summary examination about the House of Sadok. Now, this episode is part 23 in my series of studies. However, before we dive into completing this study series on the chronology of Yeshua's last Passover week, I want to speak about the house of Tzedok, who they were, and what they left for us. When I have completed this brief study, then I will return to demonstrate in a summary form, why I believe that Yeshua lived, died, resurrected, and ascended according to the established calendar of the House of Tzedok. Before we dive into today's study, I do need to establish a few facts about the House of Tzedok so as to avoid any potential misunderstandings. My first point, the Zadokites, as they are often referred to, or if you will, the sons of the house of Tzedok, is not identical with a religious community known as the Essenes. According to Dead Sea Scrolls Professor Rachel Elior of the John and Golda Cohen Department of Jewish Philosophy and Mystical Thought at the Hebrew University, and she is a respected Israeli professor who began her research and teaching career at Hebrew U back in 1978. And her specialty is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, according to Rachel Elior, there is no conclusive scholarly evidence to assume that the Essenes and those people from the Qumran community are one and the same. In my speaking with Professor Elior, she made it clear that the term Essene in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek is not found. It's not even alluded to or even written down anywhere in any of the scroll discoveries from the Judean desert that is, in the Dead Sea region. The only information we have concerning a religious community of the so-called Essenes is dated to the late 1st century, but nothing is written about them before the 1st century of what we call the Common Era. The earliest documentation that we have about the community of the Essenes comes from three late first-century sources. The first, the writings of Jewish historian Josephus. The second, Roman author and philosopher Gaius Plinius Secundus, or as he is often known in scholarly circles as Pliny the Elder. And the third source about the Essenes is from Greek-Jewish philosopher Philo Judaeus of Alexandria, Egypt. My point is that until there is solid conclusive evidence 
As to their exact identity, it is my studied opinion that if the Jewish sources of Josephus or Philo had written about that community called the Essenes, all within a context of the historical Maccabees or the Hasmoneans, then there might be a convincing argument on those grounds. But we know from these sources of Josephus and Philo that they spoke of no such community linked to those historical events. So, until such evidence is found, I think it's best that we steer clear from making wild assumptions that the House of Tzadok and their allies or supporters were one and the same with late first century literary references to the community of the Essenes. Now, the second point of fact that I want to uh, speak about concerning the House of Tzadok and those priests, it is identified from their written works to have had a well-established teaching tradition that they considered themselves earthly counterparts to heaven's sacred world of angels. The house of Tzadok wrote that they were the elect of Israel, or the chosen of Israel, who will stand at the end of days in the Messianic era. From available Qumran literature, the leadership of the house of Tzadok community believed that they were chosen to officiate on behalf of the angels of heaven on earth. And thus, they called themselves in Hebrew the Yachad, and that simply refers to them as a group of men initiating direct contact between heaven and earth. Another name used concurrently with the Yachad was also the Sons of Light. Now, we know from Hebrew Scripture that there is a vast celestial world of angels created to do the divine will of Jehovah on earth. One such reference from Scripture is Psalm 104, verse 4. It says that he, referring to Jehovah, makes his angels spirits, his ministers or servants a flame of fire. Again, that's Psalm 104, verse 4. Now, the priests of the house of Tzadok understood this paradigm, which overflows into a plentiful array of New Covenant references that speak about the works of the angels of heaven, such as Matthew 13.41, and this is a context about the end of days. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Now, there are also passages such as Luke 1, 18-19. This is a context about the birth announcement of John the Immerser, or John the Baptist. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. 
And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, or Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. There's also Hebrews 13, 1 through 2, which is known by many people. And it concerns an appeal that is about the actions of the angels on earth. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so some have unwittingly shown hospitality to angels. And we know that this fits really interestingly with the story in Genesis chapter 18 when Father Avraham received a visitation of three angelic hosts or beings. Now let's talk about my third fact that I want to establish concerning the Qumran House of Tzedok priests and their allies and supporters. You see, the priests took their orders from one very special messenger of heaven referred to as the Angel of the Countenance or the Angel of the Face. Now, this angel was also spoken of in Hebrew as Sarhapanim, the Prince of the Face. This is pure Qumran terminology. And so, it is no surprise that Shaul or Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 18 through 19, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in humility and respect and reverence of angels. I know most translations use the word worship of angels. That's not what these people were doing. They were not worshiping angels. They were showing great respect and reverence for angels. And then Paul goes on to say, the people who are judging those for taking delight in humility and respect and reverence of angels, they are the kinds of people who are intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. This has got to be referring to the angel of the face, or again in Hebrew, the sarhapanim, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase from God, or the increase from Elohim. You see, from Shaul's perspective, exactly who was this one, this angel of the face in heaven? Well, I think it was none other than the one who was written about in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, of which I would like to read just a short clip of that. Then Melchizedek, again, Melchizedek, sometimes people will just simply say Melchizedek, but this is Melchizedek, king of Shalem, brought out bread and wine, since he is the Kohen, or the priest, to El Elyon, 
And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Avram to El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be El Elyon, who was handed over your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now I know that there are many Jewish ideas concerning this Melchizedek character, but I am very convinced that this character, Melchizedek, was not the king of what would later become Jerusalem on earth, or the Jerusalem that King David would later come to rule as a king. No, that's not what the text tells us. This is Melchizedek, the king of Shalem. Well, where is this place called Shalem? This is a city of the upper worlds. It's not a lower world city. And this one appears on earth as the angel of Jehovah, or as we said, Sarapanim, mentioned by the writer of the New Covenant book of Hebrews. Let's take a look at a couple of passages to clarify this, okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He who enters behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, that's Yeshua, having become Kohen Hagadol, or high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 3. The king of righteousness was and is the ruling king of the house of Tzedok, established from on high in a city that is called Shalem of heaven, who was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of El and remains a priest or Cohen forever. Yes, I know, Jewish scholars love to identify this Melchizedek guy with the historical Shem, son of Noah, but that is simply not the case. And that can be proven easily with a chronology that we're not even going to touch right now on today's program. But I can say this in brief. If you take a look at all of the chronological years as they have been written down in Genesis chapter 10, and you compare that chronology of years with the same information that is written in the Greek Septuagint, you're going to find something very, very interesting that the Septuagint identifies many of those characters at least a hundred years older than what is represented in the Masoretic text of Rabbinic Judaism. Yeah, I'm telling you straight up, Rabbinic Judaism dropped a lot of those years off of what the Septuagint had. They made the chronology much shorter so that it could prove that Shem was the Melchizedek character. But it's not true. He was not. But we'll have to save this for a different time, okay? The point that I want to make is that this Melchizedek, this king of Sadok, came down out of heaven's Shalem, 
had appeared to Abram as a priest and a king of what would later come to be the family line of Levi, that is, the physical family of Levitical priests manifest on earth. Now, this, of course, gives us a good look into the Levitical king who was called Melchizedek, the king or ruling head of the house of Tzedek, giving us pause to think about why the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55, 1, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. And also Isaiah 55, 8-11, that he, referring to Jehovah, may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. He shall not return to me void, but he shall accomplish what I please, and he shall prosper in the matter for which I sent him. So it appears to be that this is what was understood at least in the first century time frame, concerning Yeshua. And where it is written in the New Covenant, from John 1, 14-18, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the unique one of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yohanan, who just so happens to be a Zadokite priest and son of of the Zadokites, Zechariah, and Elisheva. That's mentioned in Luke 1.5. This Yochanan, he bore witness of him, referring to Yeshua. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, what is he referring to? He's talking about Melchizedek, who came before the Levitical family, because he was Melchizedek, the king of Tzadok, the righteous one. And so John goes on to write, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law, the Torah, was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Yeshua HaMashiach. No one has seen Elohim at any time. The unique Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, the Qumran community of the house of Tzedok understood the messianic prophecy of the coming king of Shalem, again, Melchizedek, who was the true teacher of righteousness. He was also the celestial head and ruler over earth's house of Tzedok, extensively written about in the Qumran literature of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This would certainly explain why Yeshua was quoted as saying in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10, But you do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Messiah, 
and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, HaMashiach, or the Messiah. This is why I believe Yeshua is identifying to call him the teacher, because in the Qumran texts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the teacher has a definitive role. He's called the teacher of righteousness, or Morei Hatzedek. Okay? So, Yeshua came in the name of Earth's sons of Tzedok and functioned as the son of Heaven's Tzedok, that is, Melchizedek, who was and forever remains over the celestial and terrestrial priesthood order of the Zadokites, who were called the Chosen or the Elect. And you can see this really clearly in Luke 23, 34-35. Then Yeshua said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is Messiah, the elect of Elohim, or the chosen of Elohim. Oh yeah, that terminology, the elect, the chosen, that is very specific to the Qumran community. That's how they referred to themselves. But the rabbinic Talmudic system of theology back in Yeshua's day, they did not adopt and use this kind of lingo in speaking of themselves. They just didn't speak that way. But it was known language that was adopted by and belonging to the Qumran sons of the house of Tzadok. And Shaul, or Paul, was a known Zadokite associate and also a supporter of the house of Tzadok from his ancestry going back into the house of Benjamin or Benjamin. So, Paul wrote saying in Ephesians 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Master Yeshua HaMashiach, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Messiah. Now, get this statement here. Just as He chose us, or He elected us in Him from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons in Yeshua HaMashiach toward Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Yes, we've been adopted and put into the house of Tzedok under Melchizedek, not 
under the physical line that comes down through Aaron. We are being taken collectively upon our belief in Yeshua, and we are being placed into the role of priests under Melchizedek, which was higher than what originally had been given to Aaron and his line. This is just unbelievably beautiful. And this appears to be precisely what was meant as Moses wrote it down in the Torah at Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and safeguard my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Now, I'm going to take a quick break and then let's come back and continue talking about this subject. Okay, stay with us. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 136. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and we're talking about a few preliminary points or facts about the House of Sadok. Now, I want to continue where I left off here before the break. We are being taken collectively upon our belief in Yeshua, and we are being put into the role of priests under Melchizedek, which was higher than what originally had been given to Aaron and his line. This appears to be precisely what was meant as Moses wrote it down in the Torah at Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and safeguard my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Here you can see a role of exclusivity which is exactly what the house of Tzedok understood what it meant for them. For Yehovah goes on to say, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of Kohanim, or priests, and a holy nation, meaning a people belonging to the heavenly house of Tzedok in and through Melchizedek, who was the celestial ruling king over the entire physical house of Sadok long before the physical family of Levi or Levi came into fruition. And these are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. You see, all this was unmistakably adopted and used in the semantics of so much of the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls literature of the House of Tzedok. By order of divine authority, the sons of the House of Tzedok faithfully served Jehovah under the spiritual kingship of this one Melchizedek of heaven and earth. Again, it was he, Melchizedek, who stood at the head of heaven's physical priestly authority 
from his divine station at the right hand of the Father as Sarhapanim, the prince of the countenance of the face. And he then conveyed his divine authority downline to the third of the six sons of Leah and Jacob. That was the one that they named Levi. Levi or Levi means attached or joined, of course, to Jehovah. He stands as the very foundation of the Israelites serving the body of Israel. Okay, now before we get into a full-on history of what happened regarding this house of Tzedok, I want to address one final point regarding that house, the house of Tzedok. You see, the priests of the house of Tzedok defined their work as encompassing words of prophecy under a granted authority from heaven at a time when true prophecy was considered finished. I'm going to give you a quote from the Babylonian Talmud at Tractate Yoma 9b. This is concerning the words of Rabbi Abba, who is also called Rav or Harav in the Talmudic literature. He was a leading halachic authority of the third century of this common era. Here's what Rav said, quote, After the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, after they died, the divine spirit of prophetic revelation departed from the Jewish people, and they were still utilizing a bat kol, which they heard as an echo of prophecy. Permit me to expand a little bit on this for you. The bat kol is a Talmudic term meaning the daughter of a voice. And it actually tries to describe a form of communication between God and man after the completion of the true prophetic era. And according to Rav, it would have been before the last prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So he goes on to say that the idea of the bat kol suggests the sense of a lesser voice, distinguishing it from a voice that descends directly from heaven, which could refer to a kind of traditional prophecy. The Talmudists likened the bat kol to the voice of an echo that emerges from within another voice. So we learn from the Mishnah, in Judaism's second century, that receiving divine revelation from the Holy Spirit and or even angelic dictation, either one of these was simply not tolerated. In other words, the house of Tzedok relied heavily on traditional prophecy. They did not believe that true prophecy had come to an end after the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They didn't. In other words, it continued on. Now we learn in the Jewish writings of the Mishnah, 
at Chagiga 2-1. Anyone who reflects upon what is above the firmament and what is below the earth, or what was before creation and what will be after the end of the world, anyone who has no concern for the honor of his Maker, meaning if you have discussions concerning these matters, then you are dishonoring the Maker, referring to one who inquires into and deals with matters not permitted to him. This text of the Mishnah goes on to say that that person deserves to have never come into the world. Well, I think you can see very clearly what the rabbis and the teachers of first century Judaism must have thought about the house of Tzedok, because they certainly didn't believe that it was forbidden to talk about these kinds of things. Absolutely not. This demonstrates to me that the words and prophecies of Yeshua and his followers were not accepted though they were among the supporters and allies of the house of Tzedok, as it appears so from 2 Peter 1, 19-21. We have the prophetic word confirmed. Notice, it's not a bot call. This is a prophetic word, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, again, this is not a bod coal, uh-uh, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That appears to be of direct reference to the Pharisees and the scribes. And then it goes on to say, for prophecy never came by the will of man. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. The house of Sadok called them the sons of darkness because they were coming up with stuff according to the will of man and calling it authoritative. But the text of 2 Peter 1, 19-21 finishes out saying that the prophecy of Scripture comes from holy men of God who spoke and were moved by the Holy Spirit, or the Ruach HaKodesh. And this is precisely the language and the semantics that was used by the Qumran house of Tzedok. They spoke this kind of stuff all the time. This one hallmark sign of the community of the house of Tzedok was that of divine revelation under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which included angelic dictation. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, the house of Tzedok priesthood, they were said to be the prophetic knowers of Jehovah's hidden things referred to in Hebrew as the protectors of the Razim, the mysteries. They understood their calling as coming from Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. For the lips of a Kohen, and remember this is exclusively through the hereditary order of Melchizedek and then down line to the house of Tzedok, this kind of a Kohen should safeguard knowledge, for he is 
the angel of Yehovah Tsevaot, the Lord of hosts, as some people will say in English. For the house of Tzedok, Scripture was not, I repeat, was not a closed canon, because in their day, divine revelation was considered ongoing and prophetic. And I think this is exactly what Yeshua was driving at when he said in Matthew 23, 29 through 34, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of Tzadok and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. No, these are not the major prophets that this is referring to. I don't think so. I understand this reference to the prophets as being the house of Tzadok prophets in the years of the Hasmoneans from about 140 to about the year 50 or thereabouts before the Common Era, a century to a century and a half before Yeshua. They, the house of Tzedok, they were the prophets. Therefore, says Yeshua, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets, referring to the house of Tzedok, because they did murder the prophets. The documentation is there in Jewish history from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt, says Yeshua. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, Yeshua goes on to say, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Notice his reference to prophets, wise men, and scribes in the present tense, because true prophecy never came to an end. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, the priests, the teachers, the scribes of the house of Tzedok community were keepers of a divine and holy tradition of special revelation and that their judgments were ordained and not derived by exposition or exegesis of a text as it was known to have been done among the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. Religious parties who did not, again, did not permit the knowledge of heaven to be disclosed through any other authority other than their own authority. So this is what I think was behind the question that was posed to Yeshua, who comes across as the incarnate Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, as per Hebrews 6 verse 20. He is the ruling king of Tzadok, king of righteousness, and the angel of the face, Sarapanim. Here is the question posed to Yeshua, given this context in Matthew 21, 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, 
By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Oh, this is just so telling, because it's an argument about authority in heaven and not authority on earth. Among Yeshua's further responses, he was then quoted as saying in Matthew 23, 13, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In contrast with the house of Tzedok, who said that Scripture was not a closed canon because divine revelation was considered ongoing and prophetic. The Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes believed quite the opposite, that the canonized texts of Hebrew Scripture was in fact a firmly closed body of literature to which nothing could be added or removed through any prophetic form of divine revelation. But it seems like they got around that one by figuring on the concept of the daughter of a voice, the bat kol. And so Yeshua judged them, and he said in Matthew 23, 35-36, that on you may come all the blood of Sadok, or in English translated as the blood of the righteous, but it's the blood of Sadok, shed on the land, going back to the days of the Hasmoneans. From that blood of the Tzedok Havel, that's back in Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachiah, which can be translated to English as toward a blessing, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. This was not the minor prophet Zechariah. No, I don't think so. This was likely Zechariah from Luke chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is the Zechariah of the house of Tzedok and the father of John the Baptist, John the Immerser. They killed him. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And so this would explain Yeshua's statement where he says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 38 through 39, Yeshua said to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, See, your house is left to you desolate, because they were the sons of those who murdered the prophets, that is, the house of Tzedok, back in the days of the Hasmoneans. So Yeshua says, your house is left to you desolate, which of course would also refer to the temple in which they served. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Jehovah, referring to the house of Melchizedek, which comes through the house of Tzedok in the earthly realm at scale. I think all of this is the backdrop for our understanding of the Qumran house of Tzedok. 
Therefore, the four facts that I want to establish before we take this on any further. One, the house of Tzedok was not identical with the so-called community of the Essenes. The second point, the house of Tzedok considered themselves the elect or the chosen to teach and judge the families of Israel. The third point, the house of Tzedok took their ministerial orders through divine revelation from the angel of the face, that is, the messianic Melchizedek. And my fourth point, the house of Tzedok defined their authority as an all-embracing priestly level of prophecy. And that's going to conclude our study for today on this episode of the, the Life, the Death, the Burial, the Resurrection, and the Ascension of Yeshua. So when we come back next time, we'll have a closer look at the spiritual and hereditary line of the House of Tzedok so that we can better understand what they believed and why and what happened to them in Judean history. There's a lot of historical detail that has been given to us in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're going to recall from Scripture that through the woman Leah, Jacob conceived another son who was named Kohat. And this man, Kohat, he had a son and named him Amram. Then by divine decree, Amram produced two sons, Moshe and Aaron, as we learn from 1 Chronicles 23.13, the sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. And Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before Jehovah, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name, forever. At this point, heaven's decree was for the Levitical family to be split into two branches. The hereditary bloodline of Moses was set apart or made holy for Levitical service in the wilderness tabernacle. They were not the priests. They were doing the job of Levitical service for Jehovah. But there is the secondary line through Aaron, that is the hereditary bloodline that was set apart or made holy as Kohanim or priests to El Elyon in the wilderness tabernacle. And by divine decree, Aaron was made the high priest of all Israel, who then passed on that function of his high priesthood calling to his son Eleazar. And then from Eleazar, the next in line to receive the priesthood calling was Pinchas, as we learn from Numbers 25, 11-13. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his Elohim or his God, and made atonement or a covering for the sons of Israel. 
However, we know that family disputes are oftentimes quite common, and it was no different in the days of Moshe and Aaron, when there was a family argument concerning the divine decree of authority that was chosen or elected for the line of Aaron and his sons. So, we're going to read about it on our next podcast. That is the story of Korah, the cousin to Moses, as it's referenced in the book of Numbers or Bamidbar, chapter 16, verses 8 through 10. And it's through that situation, the next generation rises up, eventually landing in the lap of one who was called Sadok through Aaron's line. Sadok was divinely chosen to be the great high priest of Israel, which defines the term righteous or righteousness. So when you see that word righteous or Sadok, you have to be thinking along the lines of that line that comes down from Melchizedek through the Levitical line, passed down through Aaron, and finally ending up in the lap of Sadok. The term Sadok and the term righteous are essentially synonymous terms. But due to so much theological wrangling of the Hebrew texts and all of the information that's come down to us through all these centuries, the term Sadok has been given kind of a spin, which really is not doing us any favors because we're losing the whole connection to the house of Tzedek. We'll come back and talk about all this on the next podcast. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio.